You're listening to a Roddenberry Podcast. This episode of Mission Log is sponsored by Rocket Money. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash mission log. That's rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, episode 519, vis Welcome into another episode of Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. I'm Norman Lau. And I'm John Champion. Each week on Mission Log, we look underneath the hood of an episode of Star Trek to see if it runs smoothly, holds up to the test of time, and if it fires on all cylinders when it comes to morals, meanings, and messages. This week, vis-a-vis, the one where Tom Paris is bored, restless, and needs a change of pace again. Be careful what you wish for, Tom. I will have trivia for you in a moment, but right now, Norm is going to tell all of you how to reach us. Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Drop us a line at missionlog at roddenberry.com and join us on X, formerly known as Twitter, and Facebook at Mission Log Pod. While you're at it, leave us a review and a rating at Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform. And please remember your comments could be used on Mission Log or Engage on the Roddenberry YouTube channel. Hey, I promise that I will have trivia in just a moment. I promise. But first we have to have a word from this week's sponsor, you. Yes, all of you, particularly a shout out to our newest members of Patreon. That would be you, Mark, PT, Cindy, Tracy, Anna, Peter, and Elizabeth uh, from both me and Norman and the whole gang behind Mission Log cannot thank you enough. Um, Not only have you joined Patreon, but that is your key to join us at Discord. And Discord really is the heart and soul of Mission Log. Not just Mission Log, but Mission Log The Orville, Mission Log Prodigy, Genealogy, all the shows that are coming out of Roddenberry Podcasts. Norman, you said it that Mission Log is a conversation about Star Trek. Mm -hmm. And that is where the rest of the conversation occurs. Well, one of the things that I think you and I were both challenged with is we do these extensive notes for the show and we can't Mm -hmm. get to all of our notes. So we've taken a lot of those notes, the the value added material or the VAM, and we've taken it to Discord. Mm -hmm. And that's when we started After Dark, which is our official Discord version of the conversation that we're having now that we continue with the rest of the members on Discord. So if that's important to you, Make sure you take a look at us and what we offer all of our Discord members so that you can be part of that extended conversation. Aside from, and a lot of you were not privy to this before we started recording this episode, but John and I were embroiled in a food conversation. Go figure. Yes. Be shocked. Very, very important content. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So that's just a few of the options that you have on Discord. But John, what else do we have? Yeah, I mean, it's so exciting that there are so many text threads to follow, and uh, there's so much live chat happening almost every day of the week. So it's not just us. You, the members, have really pulled it together and uh, held these fascinating multi-topic chats, everything from, well, conventions and real-life meetups to Twilight Zone to, uh, oh, I don't know, a little show called Babylon 5. That's happening every week in Discord. So join us there. Remember, you get to join 
join Discord. You get full access to that as well as early access to our unedited recorded shows by joining us at Patreon. That's patreon.com slash mission log. We will see you there. And now here's our local trivia mechanic, John Champion, our grease monkey with this week's peak under the hood. Thank you. I guess I'm a trivia monkey. Uh, that does, yeah, just, you know, <laughs> dance monkey, do trivia for us, you know. Uh, all right. This week's episode, Vis a Vis, was written by Robert J. Doherty, and that is a first time credit for Robert. And this is kind of a cool story. He was a relatively new hire on Voyager, having graduated college with a creative writing degree just a year before joining the production. From the start of season four, he was an assistant to the producers, but then started pitching and worked his way up to a staff writer position, the youngest one, in fact, in the show's history. And he has an impressive 12 credits to his name on Voyager. And after Trek, he jumped over to a number of other series as a writer-producer, including Medium, Dark Angel, and the modern Sherlock Holmes series, Elementary. This was directed by Jesus Salvador Trevino, and we've gotten to see Jesus' work on DS9 and Voyager, and now we are at the end of his run on the Trek franchise. Of course, he's gone on to work consistently as a director in TV with credits like Law & Order Criminal Intent, Bones, Third Watch, and much more. Hey, we don't always highlight music on our show, but it's fun to point out that the surf guitar tracks that we get to hear in this episode are indeed the legendary Dick Dale. Effects supervisor Ronald B. Moore was a fan and had even invited Dick to visit the set. And what he didn't know is that Star Trek composer Dennis McCarthy, who was tasked with the music for this very episode, actually used to be in Dick's backing band. So that is a very cool behind-the-scenes connection. And if you're wondering about the title, because we haven't addressed the title in a long time, not always necessary on Voyager, but vis-a-vis, it is a French phrase meaning face-to-face. Uh, although, well, that that's the uh, specific, that's the exact translation. More often it means related to. So uh, one subject vis-a-vis another. All right, let's meet our guest stars. We have Mary Elizabeth McGlynn as Dalen, and she is best known as a voice actor and has accumulated more than 300 credits in the field. Chances are, if you have seen anything anime in the last 40 years, Mary Elizabeth's voice is in it. Not only that, but given all the experience, she has easily transitioned to the role of voice director for a number of projects. And then we have Dan Butler as Steph. Dan has been working as a professional actor since the early 80s and appeared in any number of TV shows and a handful of features. Like Mary Elizabeth, he also has a number of voice credits. But if we look at Dan's TV career for a role he appeared most frequently, it actually overlaps with this episode of Voyager from the same studio, You may remember on Frasier, the character Bulldog Briscoe. Well, that was Dan. (laughs) So far, these are the only two Trek appearances for both Mary Elizabeth and Dan. Welcome to the Delta Quadrant. Tired of the face you have? Grow a new one on a face plan. Or do what this guy does. Prologue. 
Tom Paris is busy at work on his 69 Camaro in the garage when the doctor rudely interrupts. It is, after all, just a holodeck simulation, but Tom was late for his shift to help out in sickbay. His excuse doesn't fly with the doctor, but Tom is called to another duty when Janeway orders him to the bridge. Sensors have picked up a spatial distortion which reveals itself to be an alien craft warping into their vicinity, but it's not just any craft. Tom thinks it's driven by coaxial warp drive, something Starfleet has only investigated in the theoretical stage. It's powerful, capable of folding space-time. And if it's unstable enough to explode, like this one appears to be, it could wipe out everything within a billion kilometers. Act 1. Voyager pursues the vessel against Tuvok's suggestion to get away as fast as possible. The pilot of that alien ship doesn't answer any hail, but Tom has a novel idea to create an extended warp field around the other ship. And it works. With everything stabilized, the alien pilot is able to communicate with Voyager, and he seems nice enough. Janeway even offers to beam him aboard and help with repairs to his ship. The alien is called Steth. He's a test pilot from the Benthan system, and he's aware of the dangers of coaxial warp drive, but it's really cool. Assisting Steth with those repairs will be none other than Tom Paris, who's glad to break up his routine and get out from under the doctor's watchful eye anyway. He and Steth seem cut from the same cloth. They both love fast machines, a little danger, and swapping stories. When Tom turns his back, though, Steth, for just a moment, literally starts to transform, to morph into another being. Then he regains his original form, unbeknownst to Tom, and the work continues. The problem with Steth's ship is the coaxial induction drive. It texts the tech in a way that allows him to fold space. Once he gets it fixed, Steth wants to zoom around again, getting into mischief. Maybe Tom would want to go with him? He seems like a guy who's up for a little adventure. But nah, Tom has duties and a girlfriend and, yeah, about her. Milana is waiting in the mess hall when Tom arrives, quite late for their dinner date. She just wants to know where he was and maybe if he'd be available for her later. But Tom gets quite defensive. He snaps at her for even asking simple questions, and their date is over. Back on the alien ship, Steth works at a control panel when he again begins to change into something, someone else. Just a little, that he catches himself and assumes his familiar form again. He asks the ship's computer for a genome analysis, though, a time estimate when his genome will assume its previous form. The computer gives him just a little over three hours. The complete genome recovery is imminent. Act 2. Tom has an inspiration from his 1960s garage simulation to help Steth, a type of carburetor to help regulate the particle flow in his coaxial warp drive. Steth is impressed. These guys are really hitting it off, and Steth is very impressed with the creature comforts of Voyager 2. Holodecks, replicators. Tom is a little wistful about Steth's life, though. One adventure after the next, nobody to answer to. 
When Tom turns away for a moment, though, Steph rummages through the toolbox and steals a wrench. About the same time, he briefly transforms into his other guise, a distinctly feminine alien, but turns back just in time to part with Tom for now after an offer to leave Voyager for a while and zip around the quadrant. When Steph leaves, he stops by a computer terminal in a cargo bay and hacks it to call up Tom's personnel file. Seven of Nine catches him in the act and, well, she has very little patience for Steph's lame excuses and diversions. He ducks out of there, lying about what he was looking for. After some time, the carburetor is online in Steph's ship and ready for a test. When he's packing up, Tom finds his missing wrench among Steph's things, and he asks why he stole it. To Steph's credit, he wastes no time in copping to the truth. You see, he needed the wrench with enough cellular residue to test Tom's DNA. The good news, they're a match. The bad news, Steph now steals Tom's identity, literally swapping genomes, leaving Tom looking very much like Steph on the floor of his ship and stunned with a blast from his weapon. Then Steph, looking and sounding very much like Tom, saunters onto Voyager's bridge in time to watch the alien ship fly off at warp speed. As he sits at Tom's position on the bridge, he comments that he's really going to miss that guy. Act 3. Chakotay drops by the mess hall to check in with Tom, at least the guy who is claiming to be Tom right now, and suggests that he get to work adapting some of Steph's technology to a shuttle as a trial run. Tom says sure, but first he's ordered to drop by sickbay and check in with the doctor, which takes a while because this Tom impersonator is still trying to learn the layout of the ship. The doctor is pleased to see that Tom actually arrives early, though, and immediately puts him to work, work that is way out of Steph's league. Cleverly, though, the imposter gets out of it by exploiting the doctor's chief weakness, his ego, explaining that he feels so inadequate next to the doctor's remarkable medical knowledge. In that case, Tom can have the day off. With all this free time, Tom makes his way to Bolana's quarters where he practices putting, interrupted by a furious Bolana who is upset about his total disregard for her from before. Maybe you'd prefer to be off gallivanting with Steph. Well, that was all imposter Tom needed to hear. He turns on the charm, says that he told Steph about their personal problems, and his alien friend urged him to come back and admit his mistake. In fact, he begged the doctor for the day off so he could spend it with her. Yeah, that's the ticket. Meanwhile, the real Tom, in Steph's body, regains consciousness somewhere in the Delta Quadrant, Aboard Steph's ship, he asks the computer for a location fix to find out that the coaxial leap was a success. They are now somewhere in the Kotaba sector, which just sounds far. Being lost is bad news. Worse news is that the ship is very quickly surrounded by vessels from the Benthan Guard there to take him into custody. They activate a tractor beam and threaten to take him in by force if he doesn't surrender. Act 4 those Benthan guard ships fly away once they are intimidated by a much bigger, more powerful ship. Once they are gone, the pilot of that larger ship, Dalen, beams aboard Steph's shuttle. She looks familiar. 
she's the very same image of the alien Steph, prior to assuming Tom's identity, had occasionally morphed into. She introduces herself as Steph, and she wants her body back. Now Tom has some explaining to do. Back on Voyager, Steth's, or whomever he really is, portrayal of Tom is still doing his best to charm his new co-workers. He tries to sweet-talk Belana into a little shore leave, but she's busy. He loses it when she turns him down, grabbing her and saying he doesn't know what he ever saw in her. Later, Seven drops by Tom's quarters, inquiring why he missed a meeting. But there he is, having an adult beverage while still on duty. Seven also wants to know why he's reading the captain's personal logs, and he's like, what logs? I'm not reading any logs. No logs here. But Seven has an eidetic memory and caught him in the act. Again, imposter Tom loses his composure and threatens Seven before she leaves. Naturally, word about this strange behavior has gotten back to Janeway. She asks Tom about his drinking while on duty and the threat that he directed at Seven. And then there's the matter of the personal logs. Janeway stands firm. Too many complaints are adding up, and she wants to know why. She orders him to sickbay for tests, but soon a call for help comes from the captain's ready room. When Tuvok enters, he sees Tom choking Janeway and immediately shoots him with a phaser on stun. Janeway says to get him to sickbay with a security escort. Act 5. Tom and the real Steph, Dalen, are at work getting the coaxial warp back online in order to retrace steps back to Voyager. Meanwhile, in sickbay, the doctor has determined that imposter Tom's body has traces of a second alien set of DNA instructions floating around in it. As he studies further, a call comes in that Steph's ship has arrived nearby, and Janeway goes to the bridge to take a call from Steph and his new alien companion. But Steph, or should we say not Steph, insists that he's actually Tom Paris, and they really need to beam him aboard to solve the problem with the alien identity thief. Janeway isn't convinced, and she says she'll go back to sickbay, but she doesn't because she's not Janeway. She is, at this point, the alien genome thief, and she walks into the shuttle that Imposter Tom had been outfitting with coaxial warp drive. Seven is there, but Imposter Janeway stuns her with a phaser before taking off. On the bridge, Chakotay hails Steph's ship to get some answers. It's Tom in Steph's body who answers and insists that it isn't Janeway on that shuttle. Rather, the alien has taken her identity to make an escape. And since Chakotay doesn't believe the person on the other end of the comm at first, Tom relays a private conversation that they had the other day. Convinced now, Chakotay lets Tom lay in a pursuit. A firefight opens up between Steph's ship and the Voyager shuttle, but Tom and Daylin can't destroy the shuttle. If the alien dies, then they are trapped in the wrong bodies. Tom has an inspiration, though. He set up the carburetor on the shuttle, and he can clog it up with a chromoelectric pulse and bullseye. The shuttle slows to a halt, and all's well when the crew return to Voyager. Time for alien identity hopscotch. Janeway gets her body back, and Tom gets his body back. Steph gets to leave Daylen's body and get back into the Steph body we first met. So, what of the alien intruder? Steph will take her back to Benthos to try to find the original host body, 
whomever that may be. Now, settled back into life on Voyager, Tom goes back to the comfort of his garage holodeck simulation. This time, it's different, though. He invites Bellana to come along to show off his 69 Camaro in an effort to let her into his life and reassure her that she means a lot more to him than a vintage car. The End Okay, so John, uh, please take off the greasy overalls. We don't need that for this section of the show because I, oh, I left him in the holodeck. I, okay, good, good. Yeah, like a normal person. Well, I, mean, I did call you grease monkey like earlier on, like you know, yeah. uh, right before, like right before trivia. So okay, yeah. so let's uh, clean yourself up, please, before we get into discussions. Thank you. These observations, Thank you. yeah, will do. Yeah. Uh, I am not a car person, really. Like I don't know much about cars. I certainly don't know how to work on cars, but. That is a good-looking car. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's a really nice-looking car. And I love the doctor's very 24th-century take on the relative lack of safety. That was kind of a, a fun bit. I do like the the wind whipping through your hairline because you know that it was that was directly pointed at Picardo. <laughs> oh, yeah. And his response yeah. was very authentic, I think. Yes. <laughs> Talking about you. Talking yeah. about you, man. <laughs> Hey, you mentioned my coveralls earlier. Mm -hmm. Uh, I guess holodeck coveralls make their way on Tom up to the bridge. Uh, So he just, like, keeps these in his closet, in his quarters? Or is there a big wardrobe closet that we're not seeing yet on the blueprints for Voyager? Yeah, there's a whole cosplay dynamic that I don't think we know the rules, particularly Mm -hmm. when it comes to, like, holodeck programs. Because we've seen, like, Janeway. Well, no, I think she's changed. Well, bottom line is you've seen this happen before, and... There's no real rhyme or reason to it. Yeah. You know? Um, speak- oh, I'll get to another one that makes no, no oh, rhyme or reason. All right. Uh, yeah. Discuss. Uh-huh. Right? Um, uh-huh. Speaking of rhyme or reason, or lack thereof. Yeah. So Harry says, it's an alien vessel, one occupant aboard. <laughs> Unless it's a Starfleet vessel in the Delta Quadrant, aren't all vessels alien vessels? Yes, thank you, Captain Obvious. I, I'm sorry, Ensign. <laughs> Ensign Obvious, obvious yeah. <laughs> with, with, yeah, no, yeah. With, with no promotion in sight. Yeah. See, if this were season one, uh, Tuvok would have shot him a dirty look by now. I'm pretty sure yeah. he shot him a dirty look from his soul. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. very good. Very uh, good. So yeah. Tom knows about coaxial warp drive technology, but no one else on the bridge does. I, I know, right? You just tell by looking at it. Of course, which is quite the trick All as right. well. Yeah. yeah. Um, so a question for you. If this alien looks at you through a tube, would that be a stethoscope? <laughs> Sorry, a little, little, uh, medical, little medical equipment humor, guys. I'm I did sorry. that sound effect yeah. so Earl wouldn't have to because okay, it's not worth you. <laughs> it's not this time. <laughs> it's, not, it's not at all. Um, speaking of time, yeah. just out of curiosity. So not just about steth, but about any... Mm-hmm alien quote-unquote that gets beamed onto voyager i assume that just for narrative time-saving purposes that all the background checks security checks microbe checks you know pathogen checks biological checks are all done before they say welcome to voyager please have access to our ship yeah that and uh, uh, first question, do you breathe oxygen <laughs> or a nitrogen-oxygen mix? Let's start there. Thank you for the Galaxy Quest reference. How do you know? Is there air? <laughs> yep, yep, yeah. yep. All right, this scene between Chakotay and Tom, I-, I wondered if that was like a little bit of pillar filler. I- look, I mean, granted, it does get us from point A to point B, and it plants a little thing that we need later in the episode. But 
Is it really Chakotay's nature to just mess with someone before giving them what they want anyway? Because that doesn't seem like it's in Chakotay's nature. That's an interesting point. Mm. Honestly, I didn't see it that way. You know, and, okay. and I'm going to get to that later on in discussion. Um, Fair. All right. But the thing is that Tom flat out lied to Chakotay about missing yeah. the doctor's appointment. Now, Tom says, I was busy saving someone. But we're not talking about yeah. that moment. Right. We're talking about why right. you missed the doctor. And I'm sure that Chakotay is like, yeah, on my pad, it says that you were in holodeck one or whatever holodeck you were on fixing your car because uh-huh. that's what the pad says. How do you, I mean, do you think that you can get away with lying on a ship this small? Yeah. Yeah. I, a ship that small that also has location tracking in your combat. Exactly. Tom's story about being uh, 16, uh, I first of all, I wondered why Admiral Paris owns a shuttle. People just own a <laughs> shuttle. That's a thing that you get to have. So that's very cool. And apparently it's something that a 16-year-old can just steal and crash into Lake Tahoe for a joyride. They need better security, a password, biometrics, whatever. But they're going to need that 400 years from now. He was 16 going on 17. <laughs> I have a shuttle to steal. Whoa, good. Yeah. Um, Nicely done. So why isn't Balana, the chief engineer of Voyager, working with Steth at the same time that Tom is working with Steth? I mean, Thank that would solve you. a lot of problems. Yes. Like, not just engineering-wise, but relationship-wise as well. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Too many ships. This is Steth to Tom. Yeah. Too many ships to drive. Too many intriguing women. Could this character be any <sighs> more telegraphed to, to have commonality with Tom? Yeah. <laughs> Like, hey, look, ships, chicks, yeah, buddy. Uh-huh. High five, uh, yeah. right? Where's Club Bromed? Because we got to go there. Right? <laughs> they, they, why have we not been back at Club Bromed Seriously. at this point? Yeah. I know. Man, that scene in the mess hall, Tom just getting, like, super defensive. You're getting super defensive. Really, <laughs> you're overreacting, <laughs> says the man who is overreacting. Ouch. Yeah. So for all of you who may not know the et, uh, the etymology of uh, histrionics, mm-hmm. you know, just for this mm-hmm. scene. Um, I'm glad you were bringing this up. Yeah. Histrionics means one, and this is from the Merriam-Webster online dictionary, one, theatrical performances or two, deliberate display of emotion for effect. This is what Tom mm-hmm. is accusing Balana of during their meal scene of which he was late. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, and and uh-huh. it just, it kind of like boggles me because this is where we're going with Tom. Writers, yeah. this, or I should say writer, uh-huh. I have so much to say about this later. <laughs> I can't wait. Yeah. Holodeck logic problem. We, we talked about the coveralls. The wrench, the wrench that Steph stole doesn't just disappear when he walks out of the simulation. So like Tom's got a, maybe the whole toolkit is something else that he keeps in the holodeck closet, yeah. but maybe not. I'm assuming that the holodeck creates that so he can work on his holographic car unless he's been replicating this piece by piece. And mm. if you go in at the wrong time, it's like, well, here's a half-finished 69 Camaro. I've been using my replicator rations for that and a toolbox with a wrench in it. It certainly yeah. um, adds a wrench to the situation. hey Oh, very good. Yep. Also, how does Steph know what Voyager's computer codes are or even what it's based on? Does he have some piece of stolen tech or is this another like DNA thing? What how how does that work? 
Your questions are all valid, by the way. Thank you. Yes. And Seven seems to be the only one on board right now that has a healthy enough distrust of an alien on board the ship that isn't supposed to be at her computer console in Cargo Bay 2. Thank you. Right? Thank you. Hey, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm fixated on the wrench. I, I apologize. Sure. Couldn't Tom just replicate another? Wouldn't he be like, oh, I, I, I can't find my wrench. Oh, well, none of this is real anyway. <laughs> it's a holiday. I just make another wrench. I don't care. Well, see, he's, he's back on stash. It's like, my special wrench. You, come on. It's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a weird detail. And also, so in this scene... Um, in this, or in scenes in previous, you know, at the beginning of this act, you see Tom walking with this really nice antique 1950s style toolbox, big red toolbox. Yeah. yeah. So are all the tools in that toolbox, like you were saying, are those all replicated to be like period accurate? I know. And I know. If they're not, then they're holodeck toolbox pieces, which means that they can't exist outside the holodeck. So what did he do? Replicate them while they're on Voyager? Real tools, holodeck car. I, I I think he's got it backwards. I think he's got it backwards. I think we're for you know. Yeah, this is a, this is a conundrum. We're entirely too fixated yes. on this, but it bugs me. Mm-hmm. It tasks me. Be bugged. Why Why does Death's voice sound like Tom's? Because when he shape shifted into Dalen, where it yeah, it, it, who we think is Dalen, you know, mm-hmm. um, he sounded the same. His voice was just Steph's. Because remember, he had, uh, Tom had his back turned to him, mm-hmm. and Steph had his back turned, and he changes, but he just sounds normal. I like your so. observation, but I like your next observation more. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay, that scene, Tom, now as Steph, laying on the floor of Steph's ship, and uh, Tom in, well, Steph in Tom's body now has a gun pointed on him. That looked like a Buck Rogers gun. Totally. Totally. It's so – I love those, man. I mean, yep. Of course, we're talking 1979 Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Of course. Gil Gerard and Aaron Gray. Of course. And I love those chunky, mm-hmm. heavy Universal Studios black guns mm-hmm. with the Lucite end on it. Um, I've got one. Yep. I will, yeah, you uh, do. I just say for the record here, <laughs> yes, I do. It's so cool. It More is. of that, please. You know, what? Yeah. it wouldn't be, I think, far off base to actually – have that as a prop because a few episodes ago when we did retrospect they pulled a prop from gene roddenberry's 1970-ish oh. movie right yeah the the pax yeah yeah from uh, earth um from earth planet too. earth with planet john saxon right, yeah, right. yeah 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 mm-hmm. so very cool they almost had being like a crate somewhere yeah pull something cool looking of course <laughs> right. an alien can take over tom's body but how are you going to fake being an ace pilot? Or let me put it another way, a substandard yeah. medic. <laughs> He's got that's interesting. When when you're doing yeah, yeah, when you're trying to fit in, when you're trying to assume this identity, you have to figure out the things that you're supposed to be good at and the things that you're not supposed to be good at. Right. Which is kind of a, a fun trick. By the way, very intrigued by the buffet spread in the mess hall. Oh yeah. Because apparently, and believe me, I, I did freeze frames. I went back and forth on that scene many, many times. Apparently, you have your choice of whole dragon fruit, of uh, cherry peppers, whole lemons, and maybe like a basket full of uncooked long beans. <laughs> what is going on in here? Maybe the rations are better at this point. Dragon fruit uh, does a lot of heavy lifting 
in a lot of these shows. <laughs> a lot of Star Trek, it sure does. Yeah. I'm wondering what was on those two pads that, this is trademark, by the way, Mission Log, Stentom. That's Stentom. Oh, or, I'm sorry, Steph, Steph Tom. Steph Tom. Steph Tom. Steph Tom yeah. is carrying. So a pad can only hold a letter at a time. So, I mean, <laughs> right. you know, that's that, it. Yeah. I'm, that's not my idea. That's canon. So it's not a crash course on his pad of how to maybe, I don't know, pilot a Federation starship. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, that, that might help. If Steph Tom can't read the internal map when Harry came up to see what his buddy was doing, how is he going to pilot Voyager? Is he a pattern <laughs> developing here? I know. I know. That also makes no sense. I really like the scene, though, with the doctor and Steph Tom about the doctor's superiority. It it was a a good way to manipulate the psychology of the doctor. It was a very, like, Huck Finn kind of maneuver to get out of work, too. (laughs) I love how the doctor and Steph Tom. (laughs) That's so good. Steph Tom. It's stuck. Yeah. Um, Speaking of Steph Tom. Uh, not mm. knowing how to use a medical tricorder again. How do you fake it until you make it? You know? <laughs> know. Yeah. He's bound to find a destruct button yeah. somewhere, you know? Okay, so uh, bear with me. I'm bearing. Now we have a situation where Seven says that she saw Imposter Tom, Steph Tom, reading the captain's personal logs, and she knows it because she has an eidetic memory. Where was that a week ago? Mm, mm. That's, yeah. That's a good question. And if I had an eidetic memory, I would have the answer. But I don't. <laughs> okay. But what I do know is that Seven has one incredible eyesight, right? Yep. Uh, and an eidetic memory. Mm-hmm. But then if she has this eidetic memory, how come she can't remember certain things the captain tells her? Like, these are my decisions. Fall in line with the hierarchy of the ship. These are my direct orders. Things like that. You know, like oh, small things. yeah. Yeah, little little things you know, that may come back. You would yeah. think an eidetic memory would yeah. remember those, but hey, yeah. hey, hey. What do but I know, then, right? okay, right uh, now, compared to retrospect, now we've got Steph, uh, Steph Tom, literally gaslighting Seven to her face. Uh, yeah. You're confused. You're confused. You know. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. This is just bringing back a lot of uh, challenging memories about that. Uh, but I don't have an eidetic memory, so it will be gone in a week mm. for me. Now, Janeway shoots seven. <laughs> okay, I know it's not Janeway. It's death Janeway. But I feel like Janeway's been waiting for this moment. <laughs> like, you're not where I want you to be. Blam. <laughs> you're a phaser. Yeah. Janeway at this moment, Kate at this moment, both, none of the above? Yeah. Yeah, I, maybe. Maybe. We're just going to leave it there. When they meet Steth this time, and this time meaning as mm. Tom with Dalen next to him. Yeah. So why are they keeping him at bay this time? Because when they first met Steth, they're like, we're going to save you. Please come aboard our ship. And we're going to offer you all of the courtesies of being aboard a starship, even though we don't know who you are, where you come from, if you, you, know, if you pose a security risk or whatever. Right. But now we do. Now we have a problem with you. Now we have a problem with you because you're saying that you're Tom Paris. That's, yeah. that's, that's the, the, the breaking point. Right? Yeah. Okay. It is. All it right. is. Yeah. That scene with Chakotay and Tom when he says... I know this thing about you. We just had this conversation like literally hours ago about you telling me that what's wrong. Is there anything wrong with you? Blah, blah, blah. That's what you lead with when you're trying to prove your identity. 
Yes. Not later when the captain is in jeopardy off the ship and you don't know like what's going on. Like, hi, I'm Tom. By the way, how do I know? Because Chakotay told me this literally hours yeah. ago. Here, let me prove it. Yeah. 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 Okay. So when exactly did uh, Steph Tom make the transition to Janeway? Steph Janeway. Um, yes. Yeah, so <laughs> Steph Janeway. Uh, so you have imposter Tom is choking Janeway, yeah. and then he must become Janeway at that point. So whose body is that in sickbay? Because it looks like Tom, but doesn't the alien DNA have to go somewhere like Janeway? Because remember, he's only one other creature at a time, and my head hurts, and I'm going to stop now. What was the trial and error like on developing this technology? Did he start out morphing a perfect copy of someone's left nostril? We will get right back to Visavi after a word from this week's sponsor. Hey, you've heard us talk about rocket money before, and let me try to drive home this idea one more time that we are all walking around with subscriptions that we sign up for something once and then we forget about it, and then especially we forget over months and maybe over years how much that is costing us. So if I just came up to you and I said, uh, hey, how many subscriptions do you have? You might be able to name a few. You may be able to name the top, say, three or four that you use most frequently. But then you really sit down to think about how much money is just flying out of your account because you forgot. I've been in that position. I've not only had to help myself, but help other people dig through those subscriptions and find the ones that they weren't using anymore. And beyond that, subscriptions that were duplicated from one user to another. So think about paying for two subscriptions when you only need one or maybe none at all. And add it up. Streaming services, uh, fitness apps, delivery services, parenting apps, there are so many. I've done it. I'm sure you've done it. And that's where Rocket Money comes in to help you and to help me find out what subscriptions I'm actually spending money on. And let me tell you, it is eye-opening. <laughs> and it is mm -hmm. so liberating when you start canceling the ones that you don't use anymore. You know, when you take a look at your bank statement and you're like, how did I spend all this money? I don't even know how. Right. That's very concerning because you work hard for your money. And in this day and age, every single cent counts. So you want to make sure that for the work that you do and for the paycheck that you get, you want to save as much money as you can. And that's where Rocket Money comes into play because it's a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions and it monitors your spending and it helps lower your bills. These are things that we all really need to keep an eye on, right? I can see all of my subscriptions in one place. And if I see something that I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. Right. So no more combing through things, no more combing through bills, no more combing through memories, no more thinking about, did I do this or did I not? So I never have to get on the phone with customer service either, which is very helpful in, in terms of expediting like the process of saving money. Right. So they'll even try to negotiate a refund for you for the last couple months of wasted money and lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and rocket money 
It takes care of the rest. Absolutely mind-blowing because I will never not be impressed by this statistic that Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped them save its members an average of $720 a year. That is an average of $720 a year. That adds up, my friends. And they have helped their customers cancel over $500 million worth of subscriptions. So stop wasting your money on things that you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash mission log. That's rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Again, go to rocketmoney.com slash mission log. Norman, you and I might have a thing or two to say about this episode in terms of where we have landed now in the show, which is, you know, where we get to dig deep into a few discussion points and figure out, well, what should we kick around? Like, what's really going on and what really uh, maybe stuck with us or inspired us that we need to wrestle around with a bit and, uh, and see if that will then lead us to a conclusion, a moral, a meaning, a message. I feel like I need to start out by pointing out that Steph's plan is terrible. This is one of the most short-sighted, dumbest plans that a criminally-minded alien has ever conceived, okay? What does he do? He gets to Voyager. He's like, Voyager's nice. You've got carpet, and you've got uniforms, um, and women. And Don't women. The women. Sure. And a yeah. holodeck. Okay, a holodeck, I, I can get it with that. You know, replicator, sure. Steph gave up his ship. He may or may not have a working coaxial warp drive on this shuttle that he could use if he got tired of things on Voyager, but there's no guarantee of that at all. But now he has entered himself into a command structure he knows nothing about. He has to answer to people that he does not respect in a system that he does not understand. And he's kind of signing himself up for, well, I I hope he understands that uh, Voyager is 60,000 light years from home on a mission that is solely defined by getting home. Not hanging out, not going to other places. Yeah, there's a little bit of exploration involved, but that that exploration will probably earn you some enemies. And it's not just that he has to fool one or two people. He's got to fool 140-plus people who have all been crew members of this ship for the last three and a half years. It is a terrible plan. Why he has decided that this is the thing. I understand, like, oh, I need to get rid of Tom because that's the identity that I stole. But why then the next part of the plan is get rid of my one ticket out of here and just stay on this ship where I will surely be discovered and be miserable at the same time. It's a bad plan, Norm. It's a bad plan. I mean, that's a great point. And I I think that, no, I mean, like, I think that one of the things that is really difficult about watching an episode particularly this episode, Mm -hmm. understanding where it came from in the writing of the time, and especially coming from, uh, obviously, you know, in the trivia, you said, you know, this is a a first-time writer, an experienced writer. I get that, you know, and I don't want to, like, harp on that, you know, because it's very obvious based just on uh, some of the things that we're going to, you know, talk about in discussion. But the the thing is with 
with this kind of motivation for a character is that we never really understand why the character is on the run to begin with. There is no character motivation for why this person is risking everything to be able to body jump and use his special ability as an alien to do this. And when you don't have that with your antagonist, Mm -hmm. you don't care. Yeah. Right? That's the thing. It's like, why is this person jumping from body to body? Why is he fleeing whoever he's fleeing from? Why is he putting itself at risk, you know, in, in this way where he knows he's going to be eventually exposed? Why do we care? If we don't care, then the episode itself falls apart. And, and granted, you know, at the end, we get the reveal that this is a long pattern. Okay, that he's done this to multiple people. He is wanted. He, yeah, I, sure. Right. We get the how, but we, we get don't the get the why. Yeah, yeah, we still don't get the why. And the only right. hint that we get at the why is just like, I like flying around in space and meeting new people, but... Really? Because you're just becoming somebody else and then going to the next one and the next one. And it it doesn't add up in the end right. at all. <laughs> and, and that's the tough thing about this episode. And it goes all the way back to something that I've, I think I've discussed with you before, you know, in, in some episodes of Voyager. And this is a very, very important point. Your audience is smarter than you think and certainly smarter than your on-screen crew. Uh, right? Uh-huh. And maybe this is a, you know, maybe this was the trend of the 90s. I don't remember it all that much that well. But I have to ask a question. Is it me or is the naivete on Voyager a little too much in this episode to be accepted as believable for this pseudo-military, quote-unquote, to steal a line from Bruce Greenwood's, you know, uh, Admiral Pike or Captain Pike at the time, uh-huh. a peacekeeping armada, right? I mean, right. how many episodes are we going to watch from now until Endgame, uh-huh. you know, where we see an alien welcomed on the ship, then dupe the captain and the crew and access the ship's computers. I mean, I know that this writer's new, but how many, like, there is a script supervisor, yeah. right? You know, yeah. and are we supposed to believe that the audience, or are the writers supposed to believe that the audience is as naive as the characters they are writing? <laughs> Right. That's, I mean, yeah. that's a lot. That's a lot to swallow. I mean, think about it. Like, I mean, sure, it happens one or two times. That's great. But you learn from that. Right. The characters learn from that. The mission learns from that. Mm-hmm. You put this in the writer's Bible. And in big black font, bold text, no more cavalier alien access to the ship. It's played out and it's obvious and it's pandering. L- well, uh, well done by the you know, little uh, glo- golf clap from me here uh, for that. I want to ask you something else about something that has played yeah. out. Because sometimes these stories are done very well. This, I would argue, is a story of its type that is not done very well, partly because we don't care about the stakes for our antagonist. We don't understand the motivation. But there's also a lot of loosey-goosey stuff played with how he actually does this. Like, what are the rules that we're setting up around what his technique is? So we know that he one, being Steph Tom. Yeah, 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 Steph Tom. Okay. Yeah, we know that one rule is that the change is not permanent, but another rule is sort of that he can. I guess through his own super memory powers, impersonate 
of voice and also pick up personality cues, things like that, to make him passable for a time when he's in somebody else's environment, but then it doesn't work. But then what does he do if it doesn't work again? Because remember, Tom is going to wear off at a certain point. The, the Steth Tom guys is going to wear off, just like it wore off when Daylin became Steth or Steth became Daylin whatever that combination is. Then he became Janeway, but then what? He comes back as Janeway and then re-merges with the body of Tom that's in there. So there's a lot here that just doesn't add up. The I'm not even going to try to apply a scientific layer to this because once you say swapping genome, <laughs> no, no. It flat out, no, that is not a thing. It can't be done. It's that one being would be dead and then the other being would be uh what's the word dead so yeah <laughs> it would would not be a thing we we've had other identity theft episodes and stories that work a little bit better but i am curious and and this is not really that important a question but for you maybe for our audience I still – I'm trying to figure out why stories like this are sort of evergreen in science fiction. And it's always – you know, someone steals an identity and if they're really good at it, then it always culminates in either a fight between the two or an authority figure having to tell them apart, which, of course, Chakotay has to make that call. It's like, wait, you really are Tom. Therefore, now I have to follow this one course of action that I wasn't convinced about before. Is this one more face-off? Is it more single white female? Is it, you know, mm. you could just, you can name all these things that are the identity theft stories, the identity theft trope, and then they usually have to end in some dramatic way like that. They work well in science fiction sometimes. But I think they only work when we have some sort of understanding and sympathy of that character, why they're doing what they're doing. First of all, plus one for bringing uh, John Woo's face off into the equation. You're welcome. Into the discussion yeah. here. You're Thank welcome. You. you know, the thing is with this kind of a trope, it has to be done in a unique way so that it doesn't feel like the trope that it is. And again, it goes back to how you respect the intelligence of your audience. Right. Yeah. And I'm watching this. and I'm just like, OK, I get I get what you're doing here. And you know what? I understand that the writer of this episode isn't an experienced, credited, long lived career writer. I get that. I mm -hmm. understand that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, though, a Tom Paris character, a main character is so obviously not the character written in this episode that not only does the audience say, wow, can't you figure that out? Because this isn't exactly how Tom works as a character, but the people in his life, his best friend and his you know, significant other mm -hmm. can't tell the difference of the real Tom versus the fake Tom when the fake Tom is obviously faking it. Why is there so little right? Harry? So, Why is there so little Harry in this episode? There's a lot of <laughs> not, there's a lot in this episode that, again, it, it that, that is not in this from, episode. <laughs> right. That it, it, it suffers from the inexperience of not only the writer, yeah. but I think the relationship that, say, a script supervisor would have with this script and say, no, we already have this established character with Tom Paris who has completed this amazing arc, mm -hmm. right? And growth. And now you're relegating this character to a character that we haven't seen probably since 
I don't know, season two, maybe three. Yeah. So when you devolve a character like that, it, it is very insulting to the audience when you're like, oh, this is the story that we're getting because Robbie needs a, a focus episode. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because, right. and you know what? And, and I want to be really frank about that. I'm like, look, I want to be on board with episodes like this, but it's so obvious that the immaturity level of the writer doesn't understand where Robbie or pa- Tom Paris is as a character at this moment. And we've invested ourselves to love this character. Yeah. And the setback doesn't correlate with the story that has been told so far. I'll take up a contrary position here just for a moment, uh, because I think that there's something interesting about revisiting who Tom Paris was or or what our perception of the things that that defined him before uh, you know before Bellana before uh, ingratiating himself into the crew before finding this new life for himself because we got a glimpse of that before we got a glimpse of that when he's you know, anxious about getting a letter from home and, and, but but we see him uh, find a way to self soothe when that doesn't play out he he's got to find a better way forward so it's an interesting idea to at least let him ponder that. But if it's not going to go anywhere, if it doesn't reveal anything really new about him, then it's hard to figure out what is the actual point. Well, the issue with that is that it comes out of nowhere. Yeah. It's not organic. Right? Yeah, There's yeah. N- there isn't something, an event or some type of situation like maybe with he and Bellana or with he and the ship, with he and Chakotay, that – forces him into this melancholy, right? So this is this is you know my segment. I put mm-hmm. this in my notes. Is Tom bored again? And I, I said <laughs> right. this, you know, earlier on in in, in the intro. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, like don't let duty and responsibility get in the way of a good time. There's that whole scene with him and the doctor. You know, the doctor says, I realize your sick bay training is purely voluntary, but you haven't spent any time here in several weeks and I try and find you and you're always in the holodeck. And Tom says, correct me if I'm wrong, but we haven't been treating anything more than more serious than an ingrown toenail, but that's not the point. The point is duty. Yeah. The point is responsibility. The point is being like being on time and meeting your appointments and your obligations. Right. So this whole thing, we know that Tom is past that. Yeah. We know he's past that in this in this part of the series. So the whole Tom medical backup delinquency storyline is old. It is. Yeah. Right. By about a season. Yeah. And I think that maybe this would have been an interesting way of maybe actually getting Seven into this transition, you know, because what better way mm-hmm. to understand the frailty of the human condition than through helping them in sickbay, like mm-hmm. something that Seven's never done before. Oh, and obviously awesome. with, yeah, right? And the way that she and Picardo are being kind of like, you know, coupled together, like as mm-hmm. the power couple right now of the series, that would have been really interesting. But yeah. having Tom like, oh my gosh, I'm like date, like, you know, like uh, sex post facto part two, part three again. <laughs> Like, come on, man. Yeah. Right? Like, you've yeah. grown since then. You've matured since then. And we are on board with it. And we have bought into it. And now this particular writer, without the oversight of saying, hey, you know, someone's saying, no, that's not where Tom is anymore. Yeah. For me, it's insulting. The crew can't even say in your face to this guy because it's technically in someone else's face. Right, here we are, vis-a-vis, mano y mano. 
face to face <laughs> to face each other and face the wrap up of this episode vis-a-vis and uh, ask ourselves and you the audience if it holds up and if there are morals, meanings, or messages to be learned from it. Now, Norman, mm-hmm. I think we may have tipped our hand a little bit. We may have spoiled a bit for the audience what our true feelings were about this episode. But as a formality, we come to the end. We need to put a bow on it mm-hmm. and uh, figure out what we thought. So, Norman, I pose it to you. Does this episode hold up? Um. Wow, I'm going to take a deep breath before I actually get into my review here. Okay. So, no. Okay. <laughs> All right, and no. uh, that's it, guys. We'll see you next week. Yeah, <laughs> we're done. A mission log is brought to you by. You know, you know what? Um, you know, it, with all respect, you know, to people out there that may like this episode, I respect that. Mm-hmm. You know that there's a there's an episode that works for people, and there's an episode that doesn't work for people, and this episode doesn't work for me. It doesn't hold up in the sense that it really adds anything to the overall arc of what's been happening to the main focus of season four in the storyline so far. In fact, I really felt that this was a script or a way to wedge in a Tom Paris specific focus storyline because the way I felt about it is from the very beginning of his kind of erratic behavior or just kind of inconsistent behavior from the moment from the cold open, it just felt forced. Maybe that's my biggest concern with season four overall that, and I've said this before, and I am not going to backtrack on this. I still feel this way. My biggest problem with season four overall is that so much attention has been given to seven of nine and rightfully so for the reasons why that when you actually do return to another character, another main cast character as the focus of an episode, whether it's this episode or another episode, so much of their momentum from previous seasons has been lost that when they're given actual agency in an episode, it feels forced. It feels out of place. Even for the character, you know, it just feels like that character is all of a sudden... You ask the question, hey, remember what this guy was doing before Seven of Nine came onto the scene? Yeah, this is that episode. And it doesn't mm-hmm. quite work. We did talk about like the inexperience and maybe some of the issues with a new writer for all intents mm-hmm. and purposes of why that person was able to come on board and the script was actually approved. That's beside the point. The point is, is that you feel that there's something disingenuine with the quality of the writing as related to Tom Paris, as what we know of Tom Paris so far. In season two, we actually saw, again, maybe a little bit more telegraphed, but we saw when he was turning traitor in order to get into Seska's good graces, you know, and mm-hmm. the Kazon's good graces. Mm-hmm. We saw that whole storyline with Tom being the, the disgruntled officer, like, you know, butting heads with Chakotay, butting heads with the superior officers, and then obviously going mm-hmm. off the ship and, like, you know, being recruited by Seska. That was actually a very carefully planned, very well scripted, very well parsed out ruse that was necessary mm-hmm. for his character. And that was more believable, yeah. right? That was yeah. more believable than <laughs> right. the character arc, as a character arc, than the situation that happened in this episode, which regressed him before what happened in that arc, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. In this episode, Tom is disgruntled, he's moody, he's confrontational. 
and for the people in the back, quote unquote, for no reason. <laughs> and specifically in these two scenes, the one with Chakotay, when he confronts Tom and says, hey, Tom, is there something bothering you? And Tom says, nothing's wrong. Since when is not wanting to spend time with a doctor a capital offense? You have to throw the whole crew in the brig for that one. Okay, that's a little, you know, testy. Yeah, right? he's definitely taking a shot at the doctor. And there is a way, by the way, to write and to deliver that line, to, to edit and deliver that line that could actually sound a bit more like a good-natured joke. Like, we all understand that the doctor is... Sure. Uh, a little snippy (laughs) but we're all in on the joke here this just sounds like taking a shot right yeah but Mm. even worse thank you for feeding me into this but even worse is his interaction with Bellana the woman that he loves when he's late Mm -hmm. for his meal with her and he basically she's asking him like what's happening with you what's going on with your life I actually care about you and I want to know and I want to share what's happening in our relationship Mm -hmm. you know and Tom says it sounds more like you want me to account for every minute that I'm not with you. And Bellana says, that's ridiculous. And Tom says, can I have some time for myself? Can I do what I want without having to report every detail to you? You're overreacting. Right. <laughs> the answer to the second scene is like, you are in a relationship. That's yeah. what you do in a relationship. You talk to your partner in a relationship. So, I ask you this, John, I ask you this to the audience. Why is he all of a sudden acting and being written like he's a spoiled brat who needs a good dose of reality? This regression makes no sense other than, and bringing this back to the one issue I always have with Voyager, not knowing how to develop the writing for the ensemble cast. Mm -hmm. And with this episode, it really shows. So in my rule, and I've said this before, and I will always stick by this and, and never waver from it, If you remove this episode from the series as a whole, it doesn't change anything. In my opinion, without this episode, I think Tom is still growing and maturing as a character. This episode sabotage, sabotage is all that. Sabotage. Sabotage is all that. I can easily recommend this episode skipped every time. How about you, John? I have a few feelings about it, but how about you? You do. Strong words. Strong words. Um, I'm going to start out with what I think is really good about this episode. I think the casting is great because I think Dan Butler plays Steph just right. Like He's complimentary enough to Tom. Now, granted, uh, given your very clear and I think very correct assessment that we have regressed Tom, but I think – Steph, Dan Butler's Steph, plays this in a way that you can see how he could manipulate people to being his buddy, to getting, gaining their confidence and getting them on his side. And whether it's this kind of wanderlust that he taps into in Tom or something else that he taps into in someone else, like he does with the doctor when he's appealing to his ego, like that'll get you only so far but at least on the right people when he needed it, it worked. Mm-hmm. You know, he's playing Steph. He, he's got swagger. He's got this little bit of mystery. And I, I think he's uh, physically and even the voice, it's just close enough to Tom that you can get it that these two would find each other. Now, I agree that, we again, we have changed Tom enough just to try to force this episode to work, and that is therein the part that doesn't work. But I will say this. 
okay, going on your premise, we have really regressed and screwed up Tom here. But go with me on this. I think Robbie is the MVP of the episode. Oh, I, I agree. Because, totally. Yeah. yeah. Because he's not only – well, yeah, he, he gets to play the side of Tom that is inauthentic and doesn't work. But he is perfect as Steph Tom. Or as Mirror Universe Tom. Tom. Mirror, <laughs> Mirror right. Tom. Yeah. He is perfect as the Tom Paris impersonator because he changes his delivery just enough – and he gets to have some fun with it. And I think he's great in that. But there's a huge downside to letting him do that. And that is what you've already tapped into. There is no consequence at all. And there is no growth from that at all. Because all of that growth, all of that interesting stuff, all of that arc, that's happening to Steth. It's not happening to Tom. So the arc that we created for Tom, the actual Tom, is false. <laughs> so, therefore, we are left with no consequence. Glad to see Robbie get to stretch out as an actor here, but he has to do it not playing Tom Paris. And that's really unfortunate. Mm -hmm. So, uh, hard agree with what you're saying. The, the biggest problem here is that the show undermines itself. The episode undermines itself because there is no consequence, because there is really no arc for us to dig into with this character. But the best stuff that we've seen with Tom, the real Tom, has already happened. Now, there might be other things coming up in the future, but this episode ain't it when it comes to what is really core, core importance about Tom Paris. So... Um, can it be skipped? Yes, it can. Uh, Before you go on, John, uh, John yeah, yeah. the thing is, is that like what you said is so important because the actors that they cast for this show are so good that when they yeah. play against the characters that they were actually cast for, you actually see the quality, how good they are actually as actors. Like we mentioned yeah. this in uh, The Killing Games, part one and two, like when they were playing against the actors that they were actually cast for, their performances are amazing. Right? Yeah. So write yeah. for the characters to give them amazing performances. That's what kills me about this. Yeah. It's like they are that good. Give them yeah. the material to be that good. Right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's weird. This is a great Robert Duncan McNeil episode. It is a bad Tom Paris episode. Perfectly said. Perfectly <laughs> said. Yes. Uh, and look, I can sum up the moral meaning messages, uh, or at least one of them. In about five words, uh, the grass isn't always greener. Mm. That is the intended lesson for Steth, the intended lesson for Tom, which, again, we can debate whether Tom actually needed to learn it. I think that's part of the core problem here. But, yeah, Steth sees this ship that's got replicators, holodecks, and women. Tom sees a ship that can take him all over the universe with a cool, fast engine, but none of them get what they need out of that because it is poorly conceived as a conceit <laughs> uh, right from the top. So is that a message you can take away? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Or maybe this is just an episode that you should also skip and not worry too deeply 
about the morals, meanings, messages. But Norman, maybe you've got a bit more to find here than I did. I mean, you know, uh, even if the episode doesn't necessarily connect with us, I mean, there are certain things, especially in the purview of what we do for like for our mission statement, for mission log, to look at that Mm -hmm. and see if we can find something. And I did find something that I thought was, you know, I thought was relevant. You know, being a uh, responsible adult takes work. You know, being a responsible adult takes work. It takes consistency. It takes dedication. And most importantly, it takes sacrifice. Okay, so Tom's quote-unquote seven-year itch, it's common, right? Not in just men his age, but with most people, you know, like who feel they are outgrowing their potential or their lot in life. But from my experience... You can't just believe, as you said, John, earlier, the grass is always greener on the other side. I love that we like write our notes independently and we come to the I, right. same conclusion, right? Yeah. So, John, uh, if you would like to role play <laughs> with me, um, would you like to be Tom or would you like to be Steph? Ooh, you know what? I think I'll be Steph for this one. Okay. Yeah. So, in, in the, this example of Tom's wistfulness, when he tells Steph, of course I'm happy. I'm very happy. I mean... I pilot one of the most advanced ships in the Starfleet. I have a beautiful girlfriend. I'm respected. I have everything I've ever wanted. You're lucky. You're part of a family, part of a structure. You have rules to guide you. You don't have to worry about making a lot of choices. I usually go to bed at night not knowing what the next day has in store or what trouble I might get into. You don't have to worry about those things. You're very settled. I remember those days. I used to be a lot like you, going anywhere, doing whatever I wanted, making my own rules. But you can't just pick and choose the fun stuff and ignore the hard stuff. Sorry, Tom. That's life. (laughs) Right? So grow up. You have to plant your feet in the ground and help the grass grow greener around you. Right. Remember the grief you gave Harry about not wanting a letter from home? Remember the emotionally connective moment you had with Balana about not wanting to lose the new life you've made with yourself, with her, and on Voyager? Let me remind you then, and maybe the audience, um, in your own words from Hunters. Tom said, I don't know exactly why, but the more everyone gets excited about these letters from home, the more I don't want any part of it. Maybe because what I have on Voyager is so much better than anything I ever had back there. I just don't want the reminder. You can't have it both ways. There's the person you were. There's the person you are. And there's the person you will be. But you have to accept the responsibility and the sacrifice along each step of the way for all versions of yourself because that is what life requires. And a fully rounded adult has to strike the balance with all of this. It's not easy. And it's not supposed to be. Mission Log is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. If you'd like to support us directly, you can do so at patreon.com slash mission log for early access to shows and the Mission Log Discord. Our website is missionlogpodcast.com, and for more Star Trek news and discussion, visit trekmovie.com. On the next Mission Log, the Omega Directive. Some of the music for Mission Log provided by Warp 11, online at warp11.com.
Special thanks to consulting producers, Matt Esposito, Homer Frizzell, Tom Kozak, Julie Miller, Mike Richards, Mike Shadwell, Paul Shadwell, and David Takechi. If there's a takeaway from this story, it's that we try to place the place where we can face the face. No, sorry, that's a takeaway from Pete Townsend. And transmission. This is a Roddenberry podcast. For more great podcasts, visit podcast.roddenberry.com.